Hello friends, it's good to be together. Would you pause as we prepare our hearts to open up the Word of God together today? Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. You are faithful. And we praise you for that gift of your presence that is with us right now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would connect us and open our hearts to hearing from you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Where you are joining me at is my office. And all around this office, I have artwork. I have artwork done by my kids. And this one remains special to me. This is one that Josiah did while he was at the Children's Center right here on our campus. I have ones that Ava did this week. She's really getting into using markers and crayons and drawing on, on, on paper. Josiah continues to do that too. And then I also have ones done by your kids. Uh, great things, sometimes sparkly things and with messages on the back. Um, this one is a portrait that was done while I'm preaching. You can see that characteristic blue pew that's right there in front. And then there's this one, this uh, Azure Hills picture that was done on our anniversary by one of our kids here. I have a file and I also have them up on my board and I miss all those times, kids, when you would show me these things like this, grow, grow in faith and the different messages that you wrote. Oh, I miss seeing those because you know what? You are so creative. I marvel at what you create and, and what you do and what comes forth from you. Uh, just like when Josiah and Ava pick up crayons and markers, it's just something uh, about us we create. Maybe it's been a long time since you've done that. You haven't picked up markers. Maybe some of you have adult coloring books and that's great too. But for some of us, we haven't done art in that way in a while, but it takes the form of, of your gardening, uh, your vegetables or your flowers, or it takes the form of your electronics project or your cooking in the kitchen and the way you combine things or make pastries or the way that you bake or the way that you write. Um, there's all sorts of ways to express this creativity. For some of you, it might be your card making or your quilting or your knitting, or for others, your creativity gets expressed through numbers. Whatever it is, we were made to create. You see, you are made in the image of God. Isn't that remarkable? You are made in the image of God. Yes, you. Just pause with that for a moment. And one of the most powerful expressions of your image bearing, which means that you bear a resemblance to God, you and I bear resemblance to God, this one that we bear the image of, one of those chief ways that you do that is by creating. You create. You might not feel like you are a creative. You might not be able to do much with a lump of clay or with a canvas, but you co-create with God all the time. Of course, in your decisions, in the ways that you show up in the world with the giftedness that you have, uh, but also in all the ways that you bring life, you are co-creating with the creator that designed you. We bear the image of God. This God who said, tend, rule, reign, nurture, be fruitful and multiply. This is an invitation of a God who invites us into the process, who started this creative process, but then continues it 
through all of us. This God who got down in the dirt, who formed us and breathed life into us and then invites us to get dirt under our nails too. This God who creates. Even now you are co-creating with God in all different ways in your life. And the people of God are, are better off because of you. God never stopped being incarnate. God was incarnate in Jesus Christ, of course. God, fully God, fully human. Yet he said, I want to give you my spirit who will dwell in your midst and within you. And God wants to show up in the world incarnate in the people of God. And the story that I tell you today in the Stories That Shape Us series, this is the third part of our series, and it's entitled Get Creative, because this man that we're talking about, his story turned into a movement. Valdo or Waldo um, was his last name. Peter, most likely his first name, that we don't know if that's true. Uh, the precise year of his birth and the precise year of his death are also disputed, but probably he died around 1205 to 1207 or 1215 to 1217. Though we don't know these details, what we do know is incredible. This man's story, his life, the way God worked in him shook things up. You may have heard of the Waldensians. Well, this man is the reason they are called Waldensians. In 1170, Waldo was very wealthy, a well-known merchant in Lyon, France. He had a wife and two daughters and lots of property, but something happened. People aren't exactly sure. Uh, some say that he saw a friend die suddenly and Others say that there was a traveling musician with songs and music that ministered to his soul, but either way, whatever happened in his life, he started to wonder about his own soul. He wanted to have salvation and he became troubled with his state of being. The first thing he decided to do was read the Bible, but the only Bible available at the time was the Latin Vulgate. And he wasn't very good at reading Latin, so he used his wealth to hire two scholars who translated this Bible into a language that he could understand, the common vernacular of the people of the day. Then he went and he sought a priest, and as he started reading his Bible, he asked this priest, I'm troubled about the state of my soul, what can I do? And the priest turned him to the story of the rich young ruler. He read Luke 18, verse 22, and those words, pierced Peter's heart. One thing you lack, sell all that you have and give to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Unlike the rich young ruler though, Peter immediately made provision for his wife and daughters and then gave everything away to the poor. All of it. He determined that he would live in complete dependence on God for everything that he needed. And he started to preach the Bible in the streets because he now was able to read it. He preached it. He preached to the poor and by 1175, there was a sizable group following him, women and men, both preaching in the streets, giving away their possessions, sharing with those who needed it most. The people started calling him them the poor of Lyons. The movement grew beyond France and grew to other parts of Europe. People started calling them Waldensians. The more Waldo studied the scriptures, the more troubled he became over doctrines and governing structures that were prevalent in the church that day. You see, the church even prohibited 
lay preaching. So he and the others started to find themselves increasingly under opposition. They believed in the priesthood of all believers. They believed in baptism by immersion. They believed that the bread and the wine were only symbols of the body and blood of Jesus and not the actual body and blood of Jesus. That is the doctrine of transubstantiation. They rejected the idea of purgatory and praying for the dead. Each of these beliefs were based on the scriptures as they started to pour over them and that the Holy Spirit led them. The verses that we're going to right now were also influential. This story was at play in the life of Peter Waldo. It's in this section, Matthew 16, this discourse with Jesus and his disciples is such a profound section on discipleship. One commentator said this is perhaps the most unequivocal statement of Christian discipleship anywhere in the New Testament. I would agree. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward everyone according to what they have done. This was convicting for Peter Waldo. What good is it if I gain the whole world, if I keep growing in, in wealth and in influence, but but I forfeit my own soul? Peter Waldo was proto-Protestant, though he didn't know it. These beliefs would later in the time of the Reformation be, be held by a much larger group of people. He was this wealthy merchant turned prophetic preacher who believed the word of God with all his heart and chose to follow it, chose to live what he believed. This is what it looks like for us to follow after Jesus. I'd like to read this passage from the Message Bible. It's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Here's how he puts those very same words. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. Maybe this word is for you today. God might be speaking directly. He said, you're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of a deal is it to get everything you want, but yet lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Don't be in such a hurry to go into business for yourself. Before you know it, the Son of Man will arrive with all the splendor of his Father, accompanied by an army of angels. You'll get everything you have coming to you as a personal gift. This isn't pie in the sky by and by. Some of you standing here are going to see it take place. The Son of Man coming in all his glory. Don't you love that? Who's in the driver's seat? For Peter Waldo, the one in the driver's seat was, was God. As he, as he said, I want none of this more than I want you. 
And so he allowed God to grab hold of his creativity and grab hold of his heart. And he started preaching and doing these things in the world. We look and we see the Waldensians. From Peter Waldo's perspective, though, all he was doing was being faithful to join the work God had called him to do. Waldo was part of something profound. His story is now called the Proto-Reformation. When Luther came along later, those who were still alive among the Waldensians joined in the Reformation. This was huge. This was significant. But he didn't realize it. He just was Peter Waldo. He was just following what God told him to. Brene Brown tells a story of meeting a young woman at a media conference. Now she's excited to meet her because this is the person whom she had bought some jewelry from. This woman um, talked, about, <laughs> talked about her journey and Brene asks her, how long have you been a jeweler? Blushing, the young woman answers, oh, I wish. I'm just a CPA. I'm not a real jeweler. Brene writes, I thought to myself, I'm wearing your jewelry, not your abacus. She pointed to her ears, of course you're a jeweler. The woman smiles and replies, well, I don't make very much money doing that. I just do it because I love it. Maybe that's part of our problem, isn't it? We try to qualify and quantify the, oh, oh I'm not, not very creative, or, or I, I just do that because that's what I love. It, it's not so important. Um, we don't own very easily the co-creator role that we have with God, the, the way God calls us to bear his image in the world, the way God calls us to live. Now, Peter Waldo was faithful to his living, but it didn't mean he had any idea what was coming. He didn't know where it would go. He believed in being faithful to God, and this is where God led him. He wanted to read the Bible for himself and he believed others should be able to read the Bible for themselves. Yet he didn't know this would become a thing, a proto-reformation or the Waldensians. You see, to create is to risk. We don't know where it's going to go. Even God took risk in creating us. If we feel absolute and complete assurance of where everything will go, then that's not creative. That's not faith. It's inspiring and comforting for me in all the unknowns of the creative process to know how creation works fundamentally. Getting creative, the thing that God has done and that God invites us to do is messy. It's beautiful. It's risky. And it involves a bit of chaos. I want to take you back to that story at the beginning of the word, Genesis chapter one. Now creation Sabbath, we actually celebrate this month in October, we celebrate creation Sabbath, but I can't help but take you to the story because when we talk about creativity, it all originates from God, the creator. Here, the spirit of God in Genesis chapter one hovers over the waters over the chaos, over the void. And then God says three powerful words, let there be. Words powerful from the creator, let there be because I desire it to be, God says. There's powerful language here. There's language of hope and intent. Creativity at the beginning had a bit of chaos in the void, in the swirling waters, in the darkness, when you don't know how it will work out, but you take the leap. That's what God invites us to. 
We didn't get to witness it there. We didn't get to see it at that moment, but God still does this today. When you feel that, I have to do this. I have to do this. And yet you feel like you're standing a bit over the void or the darkness or the chaos. God is there in that midst. That's what it means to be creative, to jump across the gap from nothing to something and we miss and we struggle and creativity isn't neat. There's a tension between what is and what isn't. Let us read the Bible for ourselves, Waldo said. Let us be God's vessels in the world. Let us show up preaching as the priesthood of all believers. He was co-creating, creating, bearing the image of God in the way that he brought forth and so it was for you. It has been, and it will continue to be. You're called to create. Let the words have something to say. Let the people be organized. Let teeth be cleaned and repaired. Let the children learn and experience nurture. Let the sound be structured into music. Let the paint flow to the canvas. Let brokenness in the human body be mended. Let people facing brokenness of spirit be comforted. Whatever your creative work is in the world, let there be. God does this through you. God does this through you. God tames those numbers through your giftedness. God does it in you. There is light and darkness. There's wholeness and brokenness. There's God with us, and yet we sometimes feel alone. What is Emmanuel if not stepping forward into our loneliness? into the darkness of this world. God stepped in over the darkness and the void and the chaos to be present there to create salvation for each of us. What is this creative God calling us to? What creative action is meant to come from your life? What is God calling you and I to? We see the chaos, we see the brokenness, we see the darkness, and yet what does the church do in response? We go all in, we get creative, we speak with intent, let there be. We step forward because we bear the very image of God. The God who calls us saying, what good will it be if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. We've come generations for this moment. We are here. What are we going to do with it? We are spiritual descendants of the Waldensians. We are spiritual descendants from Peter Waldo who said, I want nothing more than I want you, God. I'm willing to follow wherever you lead. The one who said, There is a priesthood of all believers, and it's us. We look at this world divided right now, the presidential debates and the challenges that we're facing, but for the priesthood of all believers, there is not an us and them. The world, the whole world is who we're called to care for and to love. People of different political parties, people from other countries, all God's children every one of them. That's what's so compelling about the church. We are creative, 
co-creators with God who step in. We don't shy away from the darkness or the void or the chaos, but we know that it is in that very space that God works to bring forth life. It is in that very space that God calls out, let there be, and it happens. If I am God's, then I need to recognize God in you, that you too bear the image of God, every person around me even the one I most struggle to understand. So get creative. You bear the very image of God. Collectively, we bear the image of God. Tomorrow, our Love is Action Week starts, leading up to our October 10 in-person worship gathering. If you missed the notes on that, seriously, check it out. We'd love to have you there October 10. Because we have our amphitheater under construction, it's going to be at the Loma Linda Academy Oak Grove. But because of its being there, we have no limits on space. We can spread out social distance as much as we want to right there. So please come. Love is Action Week begins tomorrow. From October 4th through October 10, every day we will be inviting you to a challenge of love, to put this love in action. Just like Peter Waldo, to be able to say, no, I choose to respond by sharing with others. From what I have been given, I want to give. This is our challenge together. We get to put this into action. We're getting creative. In the midst of a pandemic, we're getting creative, church. We're stepping forward. Because what happens when we get creative is that we recognize not only our own image bearing, but the image of God in the person around us. In 1942, Nazis were actively and forcibly rounding up Jews across France. In the picturesque farming village of Les Chambons sur Léon in southern France, a reformed church minister, Andre Trochme, inspired the villagers to do something incredible that changed the course of so many people's lives. Each of the citizens voluntarily risked their lives to hide Jews in their homes, on their farms, and in their public buildings. Jews that were being rounded up for shipment to death camps. It's said that not a single home or family did not hide someone in that whole village. Everybody participated. They all made a difference. This place, Les Chambons sur Léon, became known as the city of refuge, the place where people could come when they knew they, they were being hunted down, but they would find safety there. You see, whenever the Nazis would patrol, the, the villagers had a system of warning. So they would send everyone out to the forest and they would hide there until the search was done. And when all the soldiers had left and it was all clear, the villagers would go out and they would sing a song to let them know it was safe to come back into the village. When they heard that song, the Jewish families that were hiding knew it was time to come back in. Can you imagine that feeling when you heard that song? This week, I watched YouTube videos of a man who was 15 years old at the time when he was hiding there and tells the story of how he was protected and how he was safe in that village. Can you imagine that experience? Can you imagine hearing that song? It's estimated as many as 5,000 lives were saved. 
many of them given passage to Switzerland where they were able to make their life there. What was one reason for this display of compassion? Well, there are two actually. First was their unswerving commitment to follow what the Bible says. Just like Peter Waldo, they, they read it and they followed it. They didn't just read it. They said, love has to be more than just what's on the page. Love has to be put in action. Secondly, though, they were descendants of the persecuted Protestant Huguenots. Their own history of persecution led them to have compassion in their hearts for what the Jews were facing. They said, we've been there too. We need to step forward and help and protect them. Do you wonder what song they sang? Oh, we don't know. We don't know what song, um, what words, or what music. But what song for you represents home, safety, security, this creative love that they expressed? Maybe the song could simply be called compassion. The villagers chose love. They chose grace. They chose to face the darkness and the chaos of their world. They chose to face the void and the risk, and they got creative. Some of the ways that they hid people was incredibly creative. They hid them underneath different floorboards and different spaces and different barrels and places that they could hide. They got creative because they knew that in that darkness, in that void, that's where God brings forth life and where God called forth life and light. 5,000 people had their lives saved. We need this song. We are desperate for this song, a song that calls forth the best in each of us, calls us home, calls us to safety. We need this song that gives us power to change our perspective. We need this song that gives us courage to create, this song that allows us to be anchored in hope no matter what waves buffet us, this song that brings all of us out of hiding and into the place of safety. This is the music of grace. This is what it looks like to get creative, to remember that we bear the image of God. I bear the image of God, and so do you. And so do the people around you. Love is Action Week starts tomorrow, and we're inviting you for the next seven days to not just let it be words on a page, but to put it into action. What are you called to create? As an image bearer of God, what is it that God wants to bring forth? How can you speak those three powerful words, let there be, and watch what God works? Maybe for you, the let there be is, let there be a surprise for the person behind me in the drive-thru as I pay for their food. Or maybe the let there be is a phone call to check in on someone and to let them know you love them and you miss them. Or maybe the let there be is a gift that helps someone make it through as they're going through a time of unemployment. What is your let there be? What is it that God is calling you to? Because I'm telling you, we have been led to this moment. As the spiritual descendants of Peter Waldo and the Waldensians, we have been led to this moment to not just read this word, but to put it into action and to get creative, to lean in, even in a pandemic, even in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, to lean in because you were made to create, just like 
the Creator called you forth. You were made to call things forth. God wants to be incarnate in you and in me. So the very first we, we looked at, pulled together, well, who is God and who am I? Last week we talked about retreat, this idea that we have rest and that that forms the rhythm and shapes the current of our lives. Today, we're invited to get creative, to remember that we bear the very image of God and that these powerful words standing in the midst of the swirling void and darkness and chaos, that God wants to create for you to be a part of this calling forth of let there be. So what is God calling you to create?